BGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 679, recorded on March 20th, 679th edition of the TV Gaming Podcast and 512th episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Denzel. I am Scott Dirk. And I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry. Yeah. So we don't even need to ask uh, TJ what he's been playing because we know what he's been playing or at least what he's thinking about. We know, TJ. <laughs> we already know. And it ends with a four. And it's not Diablo 4. <laughs> I uh, I had the distinct pleasure of reviewing Resident Evil 4 Remake. Right. <laughs> probably it, the best game I've played in a long time. Did, did it come out, or is it still... Um, or is, is it, Embargoes are up on reviews, but the game will actually come out on March 24th. Okay. That's going to be a busy day. Wow. Because... Um, well, you'll be playing... Well, while people will be playing Resident Evil 4, I will be playing MLB The Show... And there's other stuff that's coming out on the 24th, too. It's going to be a packed day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Diablo 4 open beta is, can, is going on through this coming weekend as well. Yeah, I'm not going to engage in that because, one, I know the servers will be crowded. And, two, I don't need to play a beta. I mean, I haven't been playing Baldur's Gate 3 because I don't want to spoil it for myself. And I'm not playing Diablo 4 because I don't want to spoil it for myself. I'm one of those people who can say, yeah, I can wait until it actually releases. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like, I, I, I have been playing the heck out of uh, Resident Evil 4. That game is amazing. Okay, so what I know about Resident Evil 4 is, A, it changes the story, not too much, but it changes it enough so, you know, so things are a little bit more logical. On the other hand, it, I know it doesn't lose its campiness. It's still really campy. Mm-hmm. And it changed, well, the thing is that you're now doing attacks from a different way in the game. And, um, but it still managed to be scary and goofy and funny. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a really it's really effective and it's horror too. Like there's a lot of one of my biggest issues with horror games is that you become a walking arsenal by the end. Yeah. But Leon is a secret agent right from the get go, so like he's already that guy. I mean, he's he can be armed to the teeth, and it's still not going to help him that much. Yeah, because the threat is like. They do a good job of escalating the threat in Resident Evil 4 and making it difficult to like believe that you're always in con- that you're ever in control of the situation. Also, um, you may have me armed to the teeth, but the problem is is that you have to choose what guns you want to have with you. You know, oh, yeah. do I want the oh, what is it called the PP? What is the name of that gun? The PPK or I know there's a special gun um, that's a pistol, but it's not quite a pistol. I mean, you'll always have the shotgun, you'll always have the sniper rifle, because those are necessary. But you yeah. have to choose between a bunch of other weapons to keep with you. There's and, like three different, there's like two to three different versions of every category of weapon. Yeah. And you also have to have space for your herbs, and you have to have space for the uh, object, the quest objects, and that all, all that stuff. So yeah, while you're armed to the teeth, you're never, you're always questioning your own decisions. Mm-hmm. 
and they and they did move a few things around, but like everything that they moved around or or kept or got rid of was for the better. Like they took a pretty great original story and got rid of the things that were always unfortunate about it. Okay, what were what were the unfortunate things? <laughs> well, for one thing, Ashley isn't a chore. Like she actually is. She she is a character that develops over the course of the game and has a good ending. Well, I, well, gameplay wise, she was never a chore though. She knew when to hide. Mm, she knew I, when I to hide. Agree, but, she knew when to hide. She like, get in get in the get in that trash can, Ashley, please. <laughs> she actually like throughout this game, she actually like has more. I would say uh, camaraderie with Leon. Right. She actually like grows more star. confident as the game co- goes on, and it, like cheers him on, and even help, and even goes out of her way to help him. Yeah. Well, um, she t- she still gets uh, you know kidnapped by those uh, by those monks. So you have to keep sniping them every time they pick her up. Right. And um, and that uh, that makes it even a little bit hard. It's even a little bit harder with that in this game because they. They drape her over their shoulder yeah. like body armor, and I cannot tell you how many unfortunate moments. <laughs> yeah, I said, "Bang! Oh, you shot Ash." Yep. <laughs> Game over. But uh, but it's been a blast, and yeah. like the 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 higher difficulties and the rewards for them are really cool. The the do they still have those the, letters? Huh? Do they still have the letters? Yeah, they still have. They still rank you. Uh, no, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, the letters between, you know, you get these little uh, pages that talk about some of the backstory. There's even more of those, and they do a okay. better job of telling story parts that weren't explained in the first one. Like, you know, uh, you know, Salazar's henchman. Yeah, I mean, he, he. There's one or two letters that have discussions between them. Um, it actually goes into deeper detail about those henchmen and like what they are and where they came from. And uh, I think that's great. Like this game was made so that anyone can approach it, but it's really made for like Resident Evil freaks that pour over the, those details. It's also um, not, not so monochromatic because um, the original game was the way it was, was because it was really pushing the GameCube and the PS2. Really yeah. pushing the limits of those systems, so they had to. So things were a little bit washed out. Now there's a little bit more richness to the color because they can use more colors. Yeah, but uh, utterly satisfying gameplay, utterly satisfying story, uh, lots of replayability. I, uh, I this is the first game that Shack News has ever given a ten. Really? In 27 years, and I'm wow. proud to have uh, made the case for it and gotten gotten it through. Okay, well here's the thing. This was the easy game. The real challenge now is how to do five and six remastered. Yeah, I don't know. Like five, five will probably happen. Five well, here's the problem with five: is that um, your, your 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 partner is a complete moron. The, the first thing that they have to fix overall everything else is not to make have your partner waste your ammo and waste your guns shooting at people you don't need to shoot at. <laughs> Do you think they should keep it as a co-op game if they do a remake of it? I mean, I, I, you'd still like to have the second character, right? And yeah, keep it a co-op if you want to. But I'm just saying, the AI has to be improved, and it's very easy to improve. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking with the AI for the character for for your sidekick. Yeah, um, yeah, 
it'll be interesting to see where they go next because they are absolutely they actually they absolutely signal that they're going to keep going and they're going to have to deal with Africa in that game. Yeah. And maybe not make the zombies so stereotypical. Just put them, make them Africans in business suits, you know, <laughs> just no, nah, I mean, just have them yeah. in business suits, you know, it's in a, it's a big, big city. Everybody has business suits and dresses and all that stuff. You don't have to go with the nose through the bone through the nose sort of thing like they did. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it'll be interesting to see if they go directly to five or if they do something else first. Because, like, there's there's also still uh, Code Veronica to think about. Yeah. Which and Six has a bad rap. And um, the thing is that they try to do too many things at once. I mean, there. Uh, I know people who love certain segments of of Resident Evil Six that say it, there are parts of Resident Evil Six that are just amazing, and then they get to another part of like, oh, this sucks. Two thirds of Resident Evil Six sucks. Precisely, and one third of it is is awesome. So they just have to figure out how, what made one. Well, you already know. So we already know what made one third awesome. Yeah. But that's what I've been playing. It's a it's a fun game, and I can't wait for people to check it out this weekend. Cool. I've been playing Transport Fever 2, and I'm actually reviewing it. So this is part of my review. It's a good game. Um, th- there's a lot of it that I really, really like, and there's a depth to it that I really like. For instance, um, if I build a train station, if I build a bus station, right, not everybody's going to get on because you know what? Not everybody wants to get off at the stops that that bus is going to go on. And you can physically see everything. Like if, I'm, if I have a plane flying into the airport, you know how many people are waiting to get on because you can see them through the glass. And they disappear from the glass when they get on the plane. There's a lot to like about it. The only thing I don't like is that it's generic in a lot of ways. Um, I'm doing a lot of free play. And it's the same resources over and over that I'm transporting. Yeah, get the coal and the iron to make steel, then make the steel to uh, send it to make goods. When you get the uh, when you get the uh, the oil to turn them into manufactured goods. Oh yeah, have to take the get the crops to the farms so that they can transform it into food that people can eat. Yeah, take the oil, make it into either rubber or make it into fuel. All the same resources all the time. I mean, in the campaign, you know, sometimes you're you're transporting wine. Why can't I do that in the in the free play? Get some more get some more resources that I can play with that I have to figure out how to send to things. And it's okay looking. It's like a late stage Xbox 360 game, you know. But then again, it's dealing with so much, you know, it's so much computing power doing other things. So I'm really enjoying it. It's really addictive. But at some point, I'm gonna say, well, I want more. This isn't giving me more. So, yeah, if I was to give a, a score right now, I'd give Transport Tycoon a four stars out of five. I just wish they would, I could have more out of that game. Nice. Do you think it's uh, – Transport Fever 1 had a lot of mod support. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if Transport Fever 2 has mod support, but I'm playing the Xbox. You see, here's the thing. Transport Fever 2 came out in 2019. I am playing the Xbox version. They just released it on console. Ah, I got I'm it. playing the console version. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it has a lot of mods. Uh, I'm pretty sure Transport Fever 2 on Steam has a lot of mods. And if I ever pick it up on Steam, I will definitely look into trying those mods. I also got I Am 8-Bit's um, 
uh, uh, Cuphead Legendary uh, Edition with all the packaging. And it, I'm telling you something, the packaging is beautiful. All the doodads. I think I showed this to you two years ago. It finally arrived today. <laughs> nice. And here's my dirty little secret. Want to hear it? I have not played Cuphead yet. <laughs> I've seen videos. I have not personally played it yet. So, And also, I Am 8-Bits uh, has a special um, disc, and it comes with the DLC. Delicious Last Course. So, yeah, I mean... Um, if you if you look at the I am eight bit uh, Cuphead thing, just Google it and you'll say wow and yeah it, it's it's too good to to open sometimes because I, I have to leave it intact. I mean even the even the uh, game disc you know it comes with a membership card from 1932 and a bunch of uh, business cards and all that stuff. It is jam packed with a lot of feelies and it's worth having not played Cuphead until now. They didn't need me. I mean, everybody knew it, knows it's a great game. Yeah. Everybody knows it's a hard game. I haven't played a good uh, running shooter yet, so it's it's time. Anyway, Scott, what have you been playing? I've been playing a game uh, that came out, I think, a few months ago, uh, Colossal Caves by Saijunis. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's the uh, Ken and Roberta game, uh, basically a remake of a very old text-based game where you're exploring a cave and in this version you they also have a virtual reality mode and you can you really like it, roberto williams don't you it's, it's kind of like mist in a way because it's turn-based and the uh action is very it's everything is taking a turn so every action you do moving moving picking up an item or whatever uh takes a turn so before you go on let me just let me just give some backstory colossal cave Originally came out in 1975. It's one of the first text games. Yes. And it it actually <laughs> it actually invented Zizi and Plug, which other games have copied. Uh, you know X Y Z Z Y. Um. So the game that you're playing was adapted by none other than Roberta Williams. Yes. And you basically explore this cave, looking for uh, treasures to take out of the cave. And if you walk around with the treasure, uh, this pirate will randomly show up and steal your treasures. And then you have to go find his uh, lair within the cave uh, to get the stuff back. And I guess luckily in this version, they have an auto mapping feature so you could see where all the rooms in the cave uh, are. And you even get a, I guess, a difficulty selection at the beginning of the game where you, you can read the instructions and you'll get. Um, extra lamplight, or you can not read the instructions. You'll get less lamplight, but you get more points. And there's a score that you need to get, I think, 350 points or whatever. And so those five points are pretty precious if you want to get all the points. Uh, but you get less lamplight, so you have to be more certain about what you're doing. I assume you're not playing the VR version. Uh, no, I don't have a VR headset. No. Okay, because it's also it's it's a VR game, and you can, but you can play it without VR. Uh, it's it's even on MetaQuest right now. Yeah, but uh, it it looks pretty good so far. You know, you, you get there's these little dwarves that are trying to attack you. Yes. And you can <laughs> knock them out with your axe, or actually, I guess you're you're killing them, banishing them, whatever. Um, and uh, it's it's a pretty neat game. Um, you know, it's on Steam and 
I'm not sure what else. Oh, it's on several platforms. Okay. But uh, it looks like they did a good. It's on, job X- it's on Xbox. It's on Switch. It's on PlayStation. Oh no, it's not on PlayStation. It's interesting. Oh wow. Oh, it is on. I'm sorry. It is. On, it's on PS5, Xbox Series XS. Okay. Steam, GOG, Epic, MetaQuest. It's even on Amazon. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, um, Roberta Williams was a fan of the game and decided, you know what, I'm gonna bring it to the 21st century. Yeah. This, like I said, this came out in '75. I'm, I'm I'm really liking seeing them, uh, you know, get a company going again and making games again. And I like that their logo is that same mountain that it's always been the the old CR logo, but they've done a different version of it, you know, because they don't own CR, but not yet, anyways. Um, <laughs> I think you buy CR for a buck fifty these days. Well, I mean. Activision has it, and if Microsoft gets it, who knows? You know? But, uh, meantime, they have Colossal Cave. Uh, it's an enjoyable turn-based exploration game. Um, kind of makes me think of Mist in a way. You know, you're, you're going frame by frame. It's and... more like Zork. Yeah, yeah, Zork. That's, it's closer to Zork. Yeah, Return to Zork. That'd be a lot like that. Um, oh, yeah, and you have a limited inventory, so you have to drop items. The map will thankfully show you what item you dropped where. So that that could get real hectic if you forgot where you dropped something. So that's that's what I've been playing. Right. Um, I've also started playing, by the way, I've also started playing Diablo 2 again, just to get myself in the mood for Diablo 4. <laughs> if I'm not going to play Diablo 4, I might as well play Diablo 2. Anyways, um, we're going to move on to some quick news, and um, I know TJ's going to snort a few times. Uh, first, Emmett Shear reveals he's stepping down as the CEO of Twitch. After 16 years at Twitch, Emmett Shear is stepping down as CEO, with Twitch president Dan Clancy set to take his place. And my, what a what an interesting role Shear has had for the past few years. Right, TJ? Yeah. He presided over uh, reducing the revenue cut that streamers get uh, presided over a lot of issues that were never solved, such as boosting the creators that are constantly on top and doing nothing for those that are just trying to find their footing. And uh, yeah, plenty of also being, uh, uh, yeah, well, for one thing, you know, because of the racism and the white supremacy thing, you had that Twitch walkout uh, on September 1st, like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Or was it July 1st? Was it September 1st or July 1st? No, it was September 1st. So, yeah, uh, he, he built Twitch up into a thing that, like, basically it does very little to give back to most of its community beyond a very, very select few. Good job. And <laughs> upon that, uh, Twitch is also laying off 400 more employees. Uh, Dan Clancy stated that both user and revenue growth had failed to keep pace with Twitch's expectations, which is 100% horseshit. That is, an, that is a bald-faced lie. Yeah. Yeah, and what a first move by the C- the new CEO. Like that is uh that is your that is your opening at your that is your opening play. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure to an extent this is also because of like a- Amazon itself is is laying off like 9,000 people. So Twitch owned by Amazon was bound to get caught up in these cuts somewhere. Yeah. Still, that is a very Interesting opening act for Mr. Dan Clancy. 
Microsoft plans mobile games app store to revival Apple and Google. Uh, Xbox uh, boss Phil Spencer says the store could launch as soon as next year if regular years clear Activision Blizzard. And also, um, Microsoft signed 10-year deals with Boosteroid and Ubis Cloud Gaming Services. So we know what Microsoft's goal is. And uh, Sony must feel like a jilted girlfriend because Sony has nothing to do with it. Microsoft don't care about Sony. They care about Apple and Google. And they're getting all these gaming services to stream Xbox Live, Xbox Game Pass. We know what they're doing. They they, want to be Netflix, basically. Yeah. And I mean, this is a huge part, but this is a huge effort by Microsoft to assuage concerns, I would say. Well, Apple and Google are definitely people who are the same uh, weight as, as Microsoft. Microsoft is, is, is boxing with people of its own weight. My question is, what the hell is Boosteroid and Ubitus? Because I had not heard of either of them <laughs> up until this deal was signed. Okay. It was like it was it was like you could tell me that Microsoft signs ten year deal to allow cloud gaming services on the Nokia Engage, and that would make a little <laughs> bit more sense to me than these two things. Like I have um, never heard of either of them. And so uh, first things first, Boostroid is based in the Ukraine, and their people their their subscription service is in that area. So what they're doing is basically getting Xbox Game Pass over, you know, to more uh, to more markets. Mm-hmm. And now people who have Boosteroid can say, hey, we have Xbox Game Pass uh, streaming on our, our, our devices, streaming on our, our cell phones, you know. So that that's Boosteroid. <laughs> OK, what is Ubitus? Ubitus. Do you have, do you have the facts on do you have the deets on Ubitus? <laughs> Ubitus is also a cloud gaming uh, thing. They're in Taiwan. Okay. So basically, so are- they're stretching they're stretching their 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 Xbox Game Pass arms out to different parts of the world. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be ignorant here. Like, if if the if they're these are places where people spend their time, then good for them. Well, here's the thing. Like, thirty minutes ago, we just got a, a press release, and Ubitus and Google Cloud have now announced a strategic partnership. So ah. what happens is that, you know, the cloud wars are on. So now Google Cloud can be streaming on Ubitus and um, and uh, my Xbox Game Pass is gonna, can be streamed on Ubitus. I wonder if uh, – I'm going to Google Boosteroid and Google and see what happens because maybe Google's also contacted them too. Well, the thing is that Boosteroid was always on Google Play, um, so I wonder if it was already a thing. Oh yeah, it was a yeah. They were uh, doing cloud gaming on Chromebooks uh, two months ago. What an incredible what an incredible breakout year for Ubitus. What a credi- incredible breakout thing for streaming, game streaming. Yeah. This is the future, folks. In twenty years, in twenty years, this is what it's going to be. You might still have a box, you know. You might still have a box that you call a console, and you may still be able to put discs in it because people still want physical media. Uh-huh. Uh Wait, I'm going to put that asterisk on that because most people I know, they say they want the physical disc, but they also mostly buy games from online stores and install it to their hard drive. Yeah, it, it takes a really good collector's edition to get me to buy anything physical anymore. But here's the thing. Um, what all this cloud stuff enables us now is that it'll save a lot of hard drive space. 
because if you can either decide, you know, I really like this game. I'm going to install my hard drive. I sort of like this game, but I'm going to I'm going to stream it instead. So now it's going to be like, what games are good enough to be on your hard drive, and what games are you just going to stream? <laughs> I mean, you have to be able to play offline, or else it's never going to work. No one's ever going to buy a, no one's ever going to buy a console that can't do anything when you're offline. Microsoft learned that way too late in 2013, which is why the PS4 was so popular because Microsoft said we're going to make an online-only device, and people said fuck that. Um, yeah. Um, well, actually, we can move on if you want. Oh, no. What were you going to say? Uh, I just completely lost my thought. Okay, well, uh, some lighter news. Microsoft's classic Xbox 360 controller is soon going to get re-released. And it'll be used with the Xbox Series X, S, Xbox One, and PC platforms. The Xenon model, as Hyperkin calls it, will be compatible with all current generation Xbox consoles and PC and sell for 50 bucks. Uh, just so you know, that's meaningless. You actually have to have the device say no to a gamepad for it not to work. Because they're all Bluetooth. They all use the same HD, uh, what's it called, USB imports. But, I mean, it's nice to have the old-style Xbox 360 controller to play with again. I I guess I guess that controller is iconic on some level. Well, I always for think some of, the Duke of us. When I, I always oh, the Duke was the Xbox, uh, the original Xbox. Yeah, that's the one I always think of when I think of an Xbox controller. But other than that, really? like, the current ones are fine. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, there are some people who just like having the uh, old Xbox controller, the old Xbox 360 just, controller. I just feel like ever since the Xbox 360 controller came out, Xbox has doing, been doing slightly improved versions of that. Yeah, they, they, they basically tweak it all to, the time, yeah. As opposed to doing anything outlandishly different. But I would like, you know, hey, if they have a, a Duke controller for the Xbox, I think they already do have one for the Xbox Series X. I mean, you could say similar things about the PlayStation controller, but the PS3 controller is very different from the PS5 controller. Oh, yeah. It's not, um, the, it's not the banana phone uh, controller either. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that the Xbox 360 controller found something that works. I got that. And they just you, kept iterating on that one. Do you remember the proposed uh, PlayStation? I think it was for the 4, the banana controller that they, they teased and said people said, nope. Yeah. <laughs> and the song Banana Phone kept on playing every time you saw it. Yeah. Which, like, good on Xbox for finding something that worked and, and continuing to make it in, in just slightly better form. You know what I would like? I would like it if someone did a version, a controller that looked like the old Super Nintendo controller. Yeah? Yeah, that, that weird T-shaped controller. Uh, you remember that one? Yeah. You remember that one, Scott, the T-shaped controller for the Super Nintendo? Uh, T-shape? I know what... Oh, wait. Was, it the, uh, was it the Super Nintendo? I remember... Uh, a, a big giant NES controller at one. Wait, no, that was it. No, no, no. Yeah, it was the N64 controller. Oh yeah, I was. Yeah, I want the old N64, the weird N64 controller. I want the N64 had that weird, yeah, shaped controller. Yeah, it was like a, it was like a sideways E. You can still get that controller. They make a, they make a Bluetooth version of it now for, for the Switch. Oh no no no! I want it for the Xbox. Oh. That might be a little harder. No, not really. You just have to figure out where you're going to put the uh, D-pad. Oh, the D- not the D-pad, but the twin twin controllers. You know, just have it the same shape. I don't know also, what it was for. You're going to have to play games that very specifically only require one stick. 
I, I just don't know why they put the stick in the middle like that. <laughs> For maximum control. It looks dirty. It looks like a very well-endowed controller. <laughs> but yeah, I remember a time when controllers were all different, and you know you could tell what system it was just from seeing the controller shape. Like a Sega Genesis controller was not going to be confused for for a Nintendo 64 controller. Yeah. And anyway. buttons were very squishy. Uh, game news. Uh, first game news is Life by You is coming for. Life by You is coming with early access concert, uh, confirmed for 2023. This comes to us from PC Game Zen. After dominating this genre for so long, it seems that Sims 4 will finally have a rival in the form of Life by You, a new life game from City Skylines publisher Paradox. With new gameplay footage and details emerging today, Life by You Steam wishlisting wish is available now, with full pre-orders available via the Epic Games Store. That is strange. You can wishlist it on Steam, but you can pre-order you can pre-order it on Epic Games Store. Odd. Uh, early access is also confirmed for later in 2023, ahead of the full Life by You release date. Developed by Paradox Tectonic, uh, a subdivision of City Skyline publisher Paradox Interactive, of course. Life by You looks to set itself apart from and above The Sims by offering deeper and more detailed life uh, life game features, expansive options for modding and customization. Players can create their own conversations with the same tools that Paradox uses to make conversations in Life by You will be available to players. This means that players can write their own conversation strands and bulk import them into your own game. Similarly, Life by You's community support will mean that players can share conversations and that they will be scripted with one another, which means uh, there's no simlish in this game. As a matter of fact, all of the tools that Paradox uses will be available to players, including the script, model, and model script and quest editors. There'll be no load screens in Life by You, and players can instantly switch between any of your characters at any time, regardless of where they're located, be it at work home. But yeah, you can do that in The Sims 2. Just so you know, by The Sims 4 too. I haven't played The Sims 4. Uh, it looks interesting. Um, it it looks interesting because you could write your own scripts and put and customize your own conversations, which so worries really me. Tell your own story. Yeah, and that I like worries how me. These uh, these Sims, or well, I guess I call them Sims, uh, look very realistic. They look less cartoony and plastic than The Sims. Uh, so this is this is good competition. I also noticed in the um I also noticed in the character creation um there was like twelve traits like had a good childhood you know or it, all these uh, little uh so it looks like there's gonna be even more uh, personality traits than there are in the Sims. The problem I have is that there's a reason why the Sims isn't Simlish because you can't have racist and homophobic slurs in, in the Sims. <laughs> You know what's going to happen when, when you give these many tools to people. People are going to abuse it badly. And by badly, I mean in a bad way. I can see that. But I've also been pretty satisfied with the way that Paradox is, has... I mean, people make mods already to do yeah. things with The Sims, so... Yeah, but they didn't make it so easy for people to do. People who don't have any computing skills. Sure. But uh, I always like another game, because here's the thing. Remember what I said uh, when I saw the EA Golf game... I said it looks really, really good. Maybe that's because there's a 2K golf game. So I'm I'm hoping that Life by You ups the game, and when whenever EA decides to make uh, The Sims 5, they'll they'll make it better and more fully featured. Instead of having a, a game that's one size one third the size it should be, then you having to pay twenty dollars for like eighteen. 18 ma DLC just to make it worthwhile. 
I mean, yeah. Look at look at City Skylines. It was so good that <laughs> they never came out with a SimCity again. Well, remember SimCity 2, or even SimCity 3 for that matter. I mean, those two games had, and EA facilitated it, a lot of mods. I would spend time in SimCity 3 and just look through all the user-created content to pick out the ones I wanted for my Sims. It was great. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that, like Life by You, it will. It, it, the guy who's running it, he 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 knows how Sims work. He knows how the franchise works. He also worked on Second Life, so he knows that people can oh take a thing and abuse it. Oh yeah, nothing but zebras and penises for miles around. <laughs> so like, I have to imagine that that guy understands what he's getting into when he makes a game like this. I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm 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 gonna be interested to see how this rolls out when uh, that early access hits in September. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, it is this year, so there's that. Um, and also, you know, Paradox knows how to curate, so they're not. As Paradox very rarely puts out a shitty product. I can't, as a matter of mm-hmm. fact, I really can't think of a, a shitty product Paradox Interactive has as as released. I'd have to look at a search, and the fact that I'd have to look through a search and say, uh, oh, that one is shitty, you know, says something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look this up. Paradox Interactive. In the meantime, take the next item, uh, TJ. Respawn opens a third studio as it targets 10 to 15 year lifespan for Apex Legends. From Eurogamer. Respawn Entertainment has opened a third development studio as, a part, as part of its plans to make its free-to-play Battle Royale title, Apex Legends, a ten, uh, last about 10 to 15 years or more. Respawn Wisconsin was, will predominantly be focused on supporting the development of Apex Legends live service operations, although it may contribute to other projects in the future. News of Respawn's latest studio arrives not long after the cancellation of Apex Legends Mo. Um, so this new studio, so, so A, they just launched a new s- season for Apex Legends. They finally put a team deathmatch in the game. Okay. Um, it feels like they're moving closer and closer and closer to a, to like trying to mesh, to, to like trying to meet the Titanfall fans halfway. Um, and I mean, it's not bad. I've played the, I've played the team deathmatch and I still wish, I, I still long for the days of jumping in a mech and fighting people on an open battlefield <laughs> and with that kind of gear. But I will say that, like, Apex is, Apex has had some peaks and some lows for me, but I feel like it's in a pretty good place right now. Yeah, I I just see this and think, yeah, there's not going to be any more Titanfall for the foreseeable future. Yeah, especially if they have 10 to 15 years more planning on this. I, I feel like they're going to continue to do stuff like the Team Deathmatch where they, like, try to reach across the aisle and invite the Titanfall fans back in. But here's the thing. I know that um, maybe this actually opens them up to do Titanfall because basically they're creating an entire studio just to give content for Apex Legends. It's also worth noting that they canceled a single-player game that was going to be set in the Apex Legends universe. I Or it was, a, at the very least, it was like a side project story-driven shooter, I think. Um didn't get announced, but it did get canceled, and uh, that's inter- that's kind of a shame because, like, the, the, 
I would I, I like the characters in Apex Legends. I would like to know more of their stories. I would like to play through those stories, but it's always going to be confined. As long as they cancel projects like that, that story is always going to be confined to like cutscenes at the beginning of seasons that tell nothing that tell us really nothing. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on to the next item. Ghostwire Tokyo is getting an extended campaign, a roguelike mode, and a dodge button. And this comes from Gematsu. Uh, publisher Bethesda Softworks and developer Tango Gameworks will release Ghostwire Tokyo for the Xbox Series X and S on April 12th, alongside the Spider Thread update for the existing P- PS5 and PC versions the company's announced. It'll also be available via Xbox and PC Game Pass, as well as PlayStation Plus. According to Bethesda, on top of the new game mode, the Spider Thread update includes many additions to the main story campaign for Ghostwire Tokyo. The Spider Thread is a new mode is separate from the main game and selectable in the, from the main menu. Players must navigate a 30-stage gauntlet assembled from over 130 handcrafted levels with one simple goal, get to the end. The update also adds new locations to visit in the ghost-riddled streets of the supernatural Tokyo, including an eerie middle school area. Oh, God, no, not not Japanese girls in, in, in skirts again, uh, school girls in skirts. Every game has to have those, don't they? Every Japanese game has to have that, you know? Just I mean, look the, at- core, uh, the core Ghostwire already has that. They're, uh, they're headless, too. I mean, so. what is no? What's the name of that game? Fatal, uh, Fatal Frame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's something in session inside these classrooms, but for those who really don't like spooky games, the new reduced horror effects setting will replace certain psychic effects with adorable Hibushi Hachi stickers. I'm gonna say this again, like I said with Grounded, that only makes the game more terrifying. I'm <laughs> sorry, but you know it's the arachnophobia moods, the arachnophobia thing. You know, in, in Grounded, in which you can turn them into blobs. Those blobs are horrifying to me. Seeing this blob just going towards you, it's like, and it wants to kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe people who are scared of spiders won't be scared of that. Uh, but those of us who aren't scared by spiders will be scared of that. Uh, in addition to new missions, the update features extended story cutscenes, granting players more character interaction and insight to the plot as they play through Akito and KK's journey to stop the menacing Hanya. The expanded photo mode uh, feature will include staffs overlay over your images. Use the in-game Makia to unlock figures at the capsule machine scattered through Tokyo to unlock game models that you can use, even use in photo mode for supernatural selfies. Um, I know you love this game. You talked about it. Um, I thought, you know, even though I thought that the gameplay was open world meh, it still is a very moody game. Yeah. It was also a very odd little shooter. It, it, it is <laughs> essentially a shooter. Camera, not um, a gun. Yeah. Well, you use uh, you use these paper things. Tools. Yeah. Yeah, these paper yeah. things. Um, I beat Ghostwire Tokyo. Like I rolled credits on it, and even if I hadn't been reviewing it, I would I would have done that for that game because I was invested enough. So, uh, I don't know if a roguelike. Ver- <laughs> it could have. Uh, here's the thing: the Spider Thread update is free. So if you want to give it a try, give it a try. Yeah, I might give it a go. I mean, I think here's the thing. It may be a, I don't know if it's so much a roguelike as it is a puzzle. Hmm. I mean, like the the idea of it, the the idea of like 130 levels and you have to get through like 30 of them is interesting enough. I think it's um, it's I'm more al- like a puzzle game though. I'm also curious about what they're adding to the story because it felt like the story was pretty much packed up and ready to go by the time. I'm pretty sure it's a lot of backstory stuff. Probably a lot of backstory stuff. Or the introduction of characters, you know, new stories about those characters. Yeah. Although it it says that you, you, um, 
they play through uh, two characters. They, they they actually appear in extended story cutscenes. So, if it's all a free update, then that's pretty dope. Like I said, you got to give people a reason to buy the PS5 version. It's going to be on PS Plus. It looks like. Yes, so it is. That's a neat thing. So uh, Microsoft said, yeah, you can have it on your streaming service. Anyways, we're going to move on to the next item. Take away, Scott. Okay. Microsoft confirms it won't have a show on the floor presence of E3 2023. This is from Eurogamer. Following reports that the E3 2023 will be a no-show for PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo, Microsoft has confirmed it won't have a show floor presence at this year's event. Although its recent announcement online showcase will be part of an E3-branded week of digital shows. News that big three console manufacturers would be skipping this year's E3 set to held between 13th and 16th of June was first reported by IGN in January. One month later, Nintendo confirmed its absence, saying we approach our involvement in any event on a case-by-case basis, and this year's E3 show didn't fit into our plans. E3 Digital will run from the 11th to 17th of June. Uh, based on limited schedule revealed so far, currently appears to consist of digital shows that have previously orbited around E3 week with the PC Gaming Show and Future Game Show also confirmed. I would like to attend the PC Gaming Show because even though it's always been streamed, but, you know, you were able to see, I mean, TJ was with me for one of them at least, and they had free feelies too. Yeah, um, that, was the, uh, that was the year that they announced... Uh, Age, or was it Age of Wonders 4? No, yeah. it was the one that announced the uh, Cyanide and Happiness game. Uh, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, uh, damn, what did they call it? Uh, you know, Cyanide and Happiness, right? Uh, uh yes. It was, uh, it was the, uh, like, point and click adventure game. No, no, it was the, um, it was the, uh, 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 uh oh, what is the name of that game? But again, the Battle Royale game that they had. Ah. Uh. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was a, it was an unusual. It was um oh Rapture Rejects. Nice, yeah. That had the that had the amazing trailer. The, the game never the game never uh, lived up to the trailer. <laughs> um, so for those who don't know, I already told TJ and Scott this. I will be attending E3 this year. I don't. Uh, here's the thing. This trip isn't isn't just you know E3 is no longer a reason to go to LA. It's now an excuse to go to L.A. But um, one of the things I noticed about the uh, schedule for E3 on this floor is very interesting. The first two nights are for industry only. And the second two nights are – the third night is industry and fans. And the fourth day is for fans only. So at least E3 is learning. Because mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with fans, to tell you the truth. E.T. Dubs, uh, Age of Empires 4 was shown at the uh, PC gaming show we watched. Right. Okay, because Age of Wonders 4 was just announced, and it's coming out. Scott, can you mute that? <laughs> Age of Wonders, yes. I'll be playing that sometime sooner or later. Yeah, Age of Wonders, uh, well, you saw you saw the new trailer, right? I don't think so. Uh, but there was a game that I knew that Scott would like, and I forgot it already. Anyways, um, so I will be going to E3. I'll be shooting vids there. It's too bad TJ says he's not going. We, yeah, we could, I have we, a few. I have I have assignments before and after that. The and we're gonna have be having. We're kind of cycling out who's going to stuff this year. So 
I get I have to skip uh, E3 so that I can be at Evo. Yeah, but you know the episode that we recorded right there in uh, in uh, Devolver Digital's uh, uh, space was was the best podcast we'd done. Sure. And I don't. And it's not that I don't wish I could see it in person because I am curious of how E3 is going to go this year. Yeah. But uh, but as far as me being there, no, nah, I'll be at home working uh, stories. It'll be interesting to see who's there because I go there to see friends, um, like or and acquaintances because I wouldn't consider Michael Packer a friend, but we've ha- hung out at E3 several times. Um, then there was the, well, uh, he no longer works at LucasArts, so he's not going to be there. But yeah, oh, LucasArts doesn't exist anymore, actually, or at least as it was. But yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if there's any surprises there. I'm hoping it'll be something like the old E3s in which you did have mid-range, low indie uh, indie peop, uh, things there. You know, like Strategy First, the minor publisher was there. And, you know, maybe I'll see some AA games there. Because there's there's shockingly few double A games that you know that come out anymore. Either they're indie games or they're triple A mega t- uh, titles. There's no there's no double A games. Although I could consider Transport Fever too a double tr- A game. Hmm. I think that uh, either way, like I hope you have fun out there because like it, it's going to be an interesting year to see how this goes, and it's probably going to set the tone for what comes after like if they if they do if repop continues to do e3 after this which i have to assume they will uh this is going to be kind of an establishing year as far as how they evolved from this point forward so anyways um oh boy i lost myself so look for our show notes at gamingpodcast.net along with industry news and our gaming history articles we enjoy feedback leave us comments on our blog at gamingpodcast.net also hit us up at facebook.com slash gamingpodcast Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us iTunes comments. You can find me on Twitter at Jonah Falcon. You can find me at Johnny Chugs. You can find me at Chard Ramore. And we will see you next week. Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all.